0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Tuesday night, November 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2021. Make sure you know where your kids are in Austin, Texas tonight. One of them walks the streets of Austin with a bloody stump of a hand and tire marks on their back. And I'm going to tell you where both of those injuries occurred in just a few minutes. Most of you know if you're not wildest story of the college football year, nay, decade, coming out of Austin last night. But we've also got college football playoff rankings that are hot off the presses, so much so that, Colin, the paper feels warm still. That's how recently these were placed in my hands. So we've got to talk about that. It's a jam-packed show tonight. We are high atop downtown Nashville. It is Tuesday, so of course, we've got to do predictions tonight. We're headed to College Station Saturday, and we're talking about Auburn at Texas A&M tonight. We're going to give you a full preview and prediction. I've got two more best bets to put on the Ramen Noodle Express. So we've got all that to discuss. I've got several playoff takeaways, as I told you, and we've got to go back to Gainesville, Florida. Second time in a week that we're doing a segment on Dan Mullen, and yet we've got to because things keep changing down there. And I'm not so sure that my feel may not be a little off or maybe the feel I've had to this point may not have been a little off. So we're going to talk about all that. You got to make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram for like 15 different reasons at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following there. Happy Election Day. Polls already closing on the East Coast, but we all know one poll that is still very much in the news, and that is Poll Assassin. Where were you last night? Where were you? Because I was online, as you tend to do, right before you go to bed, and a story starts to break, and if you're watching on YouTube, there's a thumbnail here that we could not get cleared through human resources that I'm showing you on the show anyway, because we're live, and what can they really do? No one's in the building this late at night. You see the thumbnail here that we really wanted to use. And for that matter, I tried to get a live monkey on the show tonight. I certainly tried to get pole assassin. I don't think we're legally allowed to get the kid involved in the story I'm about to tell you. But we went to great lengths to make this show worth your while tonight. And yet we could not pull any of it off. I couldn't get the monkey, a security clearance downstairs. Also, the Nashville Zoo didn't want to work with us. What does all this mean? This has nothing to do with college football. Oh, but it does. If you missed it last night, quickly, Can I do this in one breath, Colin? Let's see, Jeff Banks used to be special teams at Alabama. Now he's at Texas, left his wife. He's with a stripper, excuse me, exotic dancer named Pole Assassin. She's got a monkey, she performs with the monkey. The monkey has its own Instagram. Her name is Gia. The monkey, as it tends to do when trick-or-treaters come over to a football coach in a stripper's house for Halloween, bit one of the trick-or-treaters. And then the kid just gets totally annihilated by pole assassin on Twitter last night because pole assassin is not having any of it. You're not going to impugn the good you know what name of pole assassin. And so she said the kid was trespassing. So somewhere in Austin, Texas tonight, a child walks the streets with, like I said, a bloody stump of a hand. That's from the monkey and tire marks on her back. And that's from pole assassin who double crow hopped and threw that kid right under the bus on Twitter last night. I don't even know where the kid is. We have not heard comments from the kid, the parents, the monkey, none of them. All we did was we saw a video from Pole Assassin. And so as this is all unfolding last night, I'm thinking to myself, do I own a stuffed monkey? Because if I did, I'd just put it on the set and not say a word about it tonight. Well, I don't. Colin didn't either. So that's one upset. The second thing was, what can I reasonably get away with on this show tonight? And since I am an employee of Viacom CBS, the answer was not nearly as much as I wanted to be able to get away with. So then the third question was, could we get Paul Assassin live? No, we cannot. And we got too much to talk about tonight anyway. So the fourth thing that I arrived at is, boy, I'm glad I covered this sport. Because in the NFL, when you have scandal that happens, it's always serious. You can't ever have fun with it. You know, when is the last time that a coach's stripper girlfriend had a monkey that attacked a trick-or-treater in the NFL? You get what I'm saying? Like, whom's amongst us hasn't experienced that a time or two at the college level? This game is great. Not always great for everyone involved, mind you, but it's great nonetheless. So with that out of the way, and trust me, this will be your authority to keep you up to date if and when information breaks on the pole assassin front. Let's get to the playoff rankings because they were just revealed in the last hour. And boy, do I have some thoughts here. And judging by my screen right here to the immediate right of me, so do you. So the college football playoff rankings, I got them in my hand here. They're fresh off the presses. Jesse has been feverishly five states away from us up in Connecticut, working on making the graphics. There you see the top ten. If you're watching on YouTube, it's Georgia, Bama, Michigan State, Oregon. That's your top four. What an interesting field that would be right now. And then you got Ohio State, Cincy, Michigan, Oklahoma, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame. So that's your top 10. My initial thoughts here. I was surprised, just like the rest of you, that Oklahoma was all the way down at number eight. I don't necessarily have a huge issue with it, but I was surprised by it nonetheless. Now, obviously, that's kind of a moot point slash mute point, depending on how much you want to emphasize the vowels there. Because as we all know, Oklahoma's got... Several more opportunities coming up. If anything, this is a net positive, not only for college football, but it's a net positive for Oklahoma. I mean, Lincoln Riley, what have we talked about with Oklahoma the entire year? As we watch them sleepwalk after sleepwalk after sleepwalk, they don't come out of the gate hot enough. They don't play in second ha- or first halves the way they play in second halves. Well, if Lincoln Riley can't come up with something, the old natural way, the good old-fashioned way in-house to motivate his team, just let that screen do it. Just let those committee guys do it. And so Oklahoma at eight, it doesn't hurt the Sooners. It may help them, but also here's what I wanna know. The standard that was used to push Oklahoma all the way down there to number eight, if that is maintained across the board, who's it gonna cost, that's first, and then secondly, who's it gonna benefit down the stretch? So I'll get back to that in just a second. The other thing I wanted to talk about right there in that top five, I think it was, is Oregon is indeed over Ohio State. I was doing Big 12 radio today with Dusty and uh, Eichert out there, and we were talking about that very thing, about whether the Ducks would be ahead of the Buckeyes. I'm a believer that it would have made no sense to have it inverse, to have it the other way around. Because if you're a committee, I mean, and you want to pound the drum of head-to-head mattering, well, make it matter, first off. And secondly, you know full well there are a couple of things in play. Oregon could just lose, and they could drop themselves out of this thing, or – Ohio State still got Michigan. Ohio State still got Michigan State. Ohio State may still have a Big Ten championship game, so they have several bits of criteria, data points, if you will, still coming up to where if they clear all the hurdles, you're gonna be able to look at that camera, if you're that committee member, and you're gonna be able to say, yes, true enough, and this would be in December if this were said, yes, true enough, Oregon did beat Ohio State. But that only comes into play, that head-to-head metric, if we're in a tiebreaker scenario, At the end of the day, this is how it would sound. It's probably already written in a script somewhere. We thought Ohio State overcame the necessity for us to even interject that head-to-head metric. Okay, that will happen down the stretch, which brings me to my next question about Oregon. They're at number four. They should feel really good about that. Everyone wants to know if the ceiling has been placed on Cincinnati, and I'll touch on that in a second. Look, I want to know what the ceiling is on Oregon. Because Oregon, as much as you feel good about being there in that four spot right now, I don't know that Oregon controls their own destiny, which is kind of counterintuitive if you go by past initial rankings that we've had put out there. Normally, if you are a power five team and you're still in the race for your conference title and whatnot, and you're put there in the top four, normally it means you control your own destiny. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case with Oregon. So as much as Oregon looks good there at number four right now, they probably still need some folks behind them to start losing that rear view mirror situation right now, though, it's it's kind of ridiculous. There's some really good teams back there, which brings me to really the biggest takeaway I had. And that is, I wonder how many of these teams really control their own destiny. I, I'm sure we can say it about Georgia. We can say it about Bama. Uh, we can say it about Michigan state. Good for the Spartans. They're at number three. I don't know that we can say it about Oregon. I do know we can say it about Ohio state. We at the moment cannot say it about Cincinnati. We can say it about Michigan and by control your own destiny. I mean like if you win the rest of your games, I will virtually guarantee that you're in the playoff no matter what happens elsewhere, either because your resume will be one of the four best or because in process of finishing undefeated, you have beaten teams in front of you and knocked them out. I think Oklahoma certainly controls their own destiny. But then there's this interesting gap because I don't think wake does. And I'm in the minority. I think on that, what do you guys think about this? I'd be interested to see the comments. I'm a believer as I've told you for a few weeks now that wake is this year's G5 team, even though they're in a power five conference, even though they could go undefeated for the record, I don't think they will I think they may lose as early as this weekend against North Carolina, where they are an underdog point spread wise, by the way, but let's just for the sake of argument, say wake were to go undefeated, would they be in? That's an undefeated conference champ, power five. It's never been left out before. I think this would be the first time that you could see that. Because I'm telling you unequivocally, I'm not putting Wake in, nor is that committee putting Wake in above Bama or Georgia, if Bama wins in Atlanta. So those two are in. Uh, Michigan State or Michigan, for instance, if they were to win out, they're going to be in. And I'm telling you, I don't think Wake's going over Oregon. Especially, let's just say Ohio State were to win out and Oregon wins out. Ohio State's going Oregon's a Pac-12 champ with a win on the road against one of the playoff teams. They're going wakes not automatically in this just because they're an undefeated power five. And I'm telling you that's hard to process for you because you've never heard that before. I'm telling you for the first time we're sitting in a unique situation where a power five team could get the G five door slammed in their face treatment. Now, for the record, Cincinnati is also in a position where that could happen to them. I'm going to talk about Cincinnati more in just a second. But here's what I want to talk about. Let's get out of the top 10 for a second. Let's go all the way past Notre Dame. Let's go all the way past even Oklahoma State. May you start with Oklahoma State. This 11 through 15, what stands out to you about this? For the record, if you're listening on pod, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Auburn, A&M, and Brigham Young. I specifically want to focus on 11, 12, and 13. Could every single one of those teams still have a reasonable path to the playoff? Oklahoma State and Baylor, they both still got Oklahoma. In a theoretical scenario, if they just keep winning, both of them would have a shot in the Big 12 championship game. So they're already fairly highly ranked. They would have very impressive wins down the road. So I think Oklahoma State and Baylor, they're way off your radar. I mean, Baylor's got Oklahoma coming into town next week if they can get past TCU Saturday. And they're about a touchdown favorite on the road, and the model really likes TCU for the record if they could get past the Horn Frogs, that sets up a showdown in Waco. And I don't know how many times those three words in succession have come out of my mouth, but showdown in Waco we may very well have this time next week. And I've never been to a game in Waco. So let me put that little tease out there. I've had a flat tire in Waco this year. I have never been to a football game in Waco. And I would like for one of those things never happen again and the other to happen for the first time. Could I please direct your attention to the team ranked 13th right now? That would be the Auburn Tigers, Auburn six and two. A lot of you dismiss them wholesale cause the two lost teams never made the playoff. I think it's very foolish to assume that we have a, a natural border on everything that could ever happen with just seven year sample size. You know, it could be that in the ninth year of something we could see a first or in the 14th year we could see a first. Obviously a two lost team is eventually gonna get in here. I was talking to Colin as he and I were watching this happen. We were watching it happen real time. And um, I looked and I said, Colin, I think And I said, hold on, hold on. Colin, I really think oh, hold, let me gather my thoughts again. Colin, yeah, I think Auburn controls their own destiny. And you know what? I'm right. If the Auburn Tigers win the remainder of their games, they will be in the playoff. And I don't care who they have to kick out of the way to put Auburn in the playoff. Yeah, they'd have two losses. You know who else they would have beaten down the stretch? They would have beaten number 14 a on the road. They would have beaten number two Alabama in Jordan-Hare, and they would have gone to Atlanta and beaten number one. If you think in your right mind that that team's going to beat 14, 2, and 1 with the impressive resume they already have and get left out, I don't care if they have two losses, guys. Auburn controls their own destiny. Auburn controls their destiny more than some of these teams in the top ten. I actually think Auburn controls their destiny more than undefeated Wake Forest does. Now you make sense of that as you will because you think apples to apples, they're both power five teams. It's not apples to apples because the ACC this year is not a power five conference. I know what the helmet sticker says. I know what the TV check says, and I know what history says. I also know what these eyeballs say. Your most impressive win to date is on the road at Virginia. Let me hit you with some knowledge about the ACC. You tell me what these odds would have been in the preseason. If I tell you we are going to get to November and the first playoff rankings are going to come out and there are going to be three ACC teams ranked in the top 25 and neither of them are going to be named Clemson or North Carolina and Sam Howell will still be healthy and DJ Uyangalele will still be healthy. No quarterback injuries, no derailment of a season because of quarterback. Neither one of them are going to be there because they just weren't good enough. How stunning would that have been? That is the state of the ACC this year. Now you may say, oh, there's still ACC teams up there. Yeah, there are. NC State's in there, Pitt's in there. I would just ask you, is that a byproduct of the inferiority among the perceived top two at the beginning of the season? I would suggest, yes, it is. So I don't know that weight controls their own destiny. I actually think Auburn, out of all teams, down there at number uh, 13, I think they do. So what do we think about Cincinnati here? I was laughing. I knew what was coming. So I thought Cincy would be ranked four, they were ranked six, I don't really care. I was laughing and I still am, as you can see if you're watching at all the outrage. And I had a lot of people hitting me up saying, I guess you were wrong, weren't you? No, I I don't know that I was. I mean, it has happened before. Uh, For the record, if anyone's saying I'm wrong, what they are insinuating or referencing at least, is I have sat here for several weeks, the whole season really, and I've told you I believe if Cincinnati goes undefeated, they will be in the playoff. I haven't said they control their own destiny. What I have said is there are two things in play. Number one, if they go undefeated, they'll have a good enough resume where if the second thing happens that I expect to happen, pay close attention to this one, kids, and that is chaos in November, I think enough of the dominoes will fall ahead of them to where they can get in. The first thing they got to take care of business on The second thing, that's what has me laughing. There are no, well, outside of Georgia, and maybe even including Georgia, there are no transcendently elite teams in college football this year. I don't think we have a single one. To assume after an October full of chaos and a September full of chaos, that we're going to arrive in this sea of tranquility in November when the stakes are the highest and teams are the most vulnerable and there's the least margin for error and we've got young quarterbacks all over the place on these contending teams. If you think that all these teams, all this chalk is gonna cruise right through Thanksgiving and beyond, I think you're kidding yourself. Cincinnati may also fall victim to what I'm talking about here, but certainly I would bet a lot of money that sometimes out of necessity cause they'll play each other, but other times just out of the stakes in play and the relative vulnerability of some of these top teams, there will be more huge upsets you may not have even seen the biggest upsets of the year yet. So if Cincinnati goes undefeated, you look right now and you say, well, you see that team, that team, and that team ahead of them. That means that we've seen the ceiling of Cincinnati. Yeah, if all those teams went out, you have. Who told you they're going to win out? Not me. I don't think they're going to. I think you're going to see several of those teams fall. Several meaning more than one. So I think more than one of them are going to fall. So those are the initial playoff thoughts here. Uh, Biggest surprise, Oklahoma. And I think the other surprise to me, and maybe I just had to see it uh, for it to register with me. I really think Auburn controls their destiny. I think that's my other biggest takeaway. I think an undefeated power five in the top 10 does not. And I think a two loss Auburn at 13 does. So that's where I am on that. And I'll tell you where I'll be Saturday. I will see the Auburn Tigers Saturday. Could this be bias? Could I just be trying to curry favor with the Auburn administration? No, but sometimes I can anticipate what the comments are going to be. And so I just want to make the comment ahead of time. And I grew up close to Auburn, so it could just be War Eagle. I could have a little orange and blue tramp stamp on my lower back. And that could be what's up right now. Or it could just be what I really believe. One of the two, maybe both somewhere in between. I don't know, but I'll finish what I was going to say. I'm going to be in College Station Saturday, which means we are going to be in the heart of SEC country at what I think is the biggest game of the week, and that is Auburn at Texas A&M. And you know who else is gonna be there? Our academy representatives. Yes, I got the heads up yesterday. Our academy sports and outdoor representatives, the ones that personally facilitate all the wonderful things that we get to show and and showcase, I guess, and also give away in the best of cases, gonna meet them there Saturday. Which means for you, probably some more free stuff to give away down the line, but also, That means we get our usual southern sea of academy sports and outdoor equipment and tailgating needs and all that stuff met. And it happens in the south all the time. But when I went to East Lansing last week, what I loved is, as I was telling you guys, a couple of you came up and said, there is no academy where I live but I do have academy.com. So that's the encouragement here. This is our only partner. It is our big partner. It's the partner that makes the show free for you. Academy Sports and Outdoors, you're getting ready for Christmas. You're getting ready for the holiday season. You're gonna have to buy new stuff anyway. A lot of you tailgate every weekend. The weather's changing, your needs change. That's fine, you're gonna buy it anyway. We all know that, even I know that. Even I have to buy a few new things in the fall, and I hate spending money on anything. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, it makes it a little easier. I'm helping myself out and I'm helping the show out and in that case for me it's redundant but in your case you can kill two birds with one stone there so academy.com if you can't get in there in person Academy Sports and Outdoors if you can't get there in person whatever you do make them your one-stop shop which they are for all of your tailgating and just general life needs at this point Okay, uh, let's move on. We have predictions coming up on that game. That's going to be probably about five or six minutes from now. But, boy, we got something to talk about again. Again, I don't like repeating segments over and over again. I haven't even done two LSU coaching search segments uh, back-to-back. But Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen, Daniel Mullen in Gainesville, Florida. I think I may have been wrong about the status of Dan Mullen at Florida it feels like it's getting sour really quick. It feels like the expiration date was about two days ago and you're risking it and you think that milk will still be good for my cereal tomorrow morning. But at this point, instead of two days, it's like four days old and we are really risking it right now. And Dan Mullen is really skating on thin ice with hot blades right now. And so where I may have been wrong is I just assumed that even if the bottom fell out, he was gonna be okay this year, there would have to be changes made come December or January on the staff and that may very well be the way it works out because let me state very clearly I myself am still not at the point where if I had the lever here and I could pull it and Dan Mullen's gone I am not pulling that lever if I'm Scott Strickland the AD down there I'm not suggesting that I'm ready to make that move but you also know my propensity to wait beyond the end of the line in order to advocate for that only because I know how hard this stuff is and I've observed programs crash and burn when they pull the lever too early and or the market is too bare or they have overplayed their hand and they can't get who they want and so they end up maybe with a wash and they're also paying a buyout so it's not really a wash or they're not as good in the long run so i'm not there yet but i don't run florida so i think dan mullen and scott strickland i think they're okay but it doesn't really matter if your team quits on you. And I'm not saying they have, we're gonna find a lot about that out Saturday when they go to South Carolina, but the fan base is mad to irate, and they have reason to be. And we have spoken on this program about the expectations at Florida, and there was someone down there, I'm not gonna call him a clown, I'm just gonna say I disagreed with the particular take that they gave, because you can be a good, reasonable, smart person and just say something I don't agree with. It has happened, believe it or not, that does happen. Someone down there a few weeks ago said maybe the expectation level is just too high. The expectation level is not too high at Florida. It is not too high at all. If it's been done there before, there's reason to expect it to be done regardless of the staff. And if that thing that you want, title contention and elite recruiting, to name two things, if those things aren't being done, it's not a Florida problem. They didn't strip away the ability of Florida. It's just the guy wearing the headset right there is not getting it done. Does that mean you need to fire him tomorrow? No, it doesn't, but it certainly means he's got to meet you halfway or even three-quarters of the way, and he's got to make some moves here because right now we're settling into a little bit of a pattern, and I say that I don't think you need to pull the lever or hit the dump button. I say that only because I still see the potential for an eight-win season, nine, if you win a bowl game. They could go nine and four, and that would be all well and good, and then you get into the, you get into the winter months and you make the staff changes, and he's got to make several of them. He'd be okay then. I think Dan Mullen would be okay then. But you and I both know there could be something else in play. And that something else could be that team coming out of the Georgia game could be lifeless. They could be gutted. It could be a fractured locker room. I'm not in there. I'm not giving you any firsthand accounts. I'm saying we've seen that happen before. And if they are in that state of mind, then nothing's off the table. They go to South Carolina Saturday. They're like a 19-point favorite. They could lose. They could lose the game outright. I'm telling you, that will be Super Bowl mode for South Carolina and Shane Beamer. Don't think for a second Florida couldn't lose that game. They lost as a bigger favorite at home last year to LSU. It could absolutely happen. Uh, And if that were to happen, if they're in that state of disrepair, I don't assume they go to Missouri and win. I don't assume they beat Florida State. What I'm saying is Florida should win every game remaining on the schedule. There is also a total disaster scenario that could be in play. And at that point, I don't know what saves Dan Mullen. Here was my fear and where I'm changing my perception here is I think my fear in 2020 is being validated more and more. To recap, my fear was Dan Mullen wanted out. He wanted to go to the NFL. I think that was pretty apparent from everybody involved. The only question was, is he going to have a shot? And I think he thought he was going to get that shot. And I think he handled himself that way and carried himself that way and acted that way last year. He was the senior in high school. I don't have to worry about the consequences. I'm not coming back. And then he had to come back and he had to repeat 12th grade. Well, my fear was that people would not forget that down there. And my fear was also it was going to be very hard for him to fully check back in and that program to fully check back in. They never have. This program's not checked back in. And I don't think it's just a raw personnel issue, although players are at the heart of it at the end of the day and not having enough of them. My fear is that that's being realized. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is where we got to play a clip from – yesterday, I think it was, at Dan Mullen's press conference. And this really just triggered a whole firestorm. Now, in a second, Jesse's going to run the sound for you. And here's what's happening. You're going to hear the question. But to tee it up, when the Georgia-Florida game ended Saturday, remember on the Sunday show, I played you that clip from Kirby Smart. And Kirby Smart essentially just yelled in your face, I recruit 366 days a year. If they could let me, I'd do it 366. You've always got to be recruiting good players, beat good schemes, blah, blah, blah. Kirby Smart basically just kind of professed what his philosophy on football is, which is always what it should be if you're at one of these jobs. That is the lifeblood. Make no mistake about it. That is the lifeblood. So, with that being the backdrop, a lot of folks subsequently had already started to, and then after that sound, they really started to talk about again the difference between the way Kirby Smart approaches things at the University of Georgia and the way Dan Mullen approaches things at the University of Florida. There's the perception, and I think it's born out of reality, that Mullen does not prioritize or care about recruiting nearly as much as guys like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. And what aggravates Florida fans is they have the ability to recruit at that level if they had the right guy in the driver's seat. They don't, at least to match that kind of recruiting energy. So with that context, Now we're going to play you the clip of what happened yesterday, and then I'll react to it coming back. Uh, Coach, the topic of recruiting has come up a lot the last couple days from a few angles. Uh, Is there a different approach needed for the the level of consistency? We're we're in the season right now. We'll do recruiting after the season, and when it gets to recruiting time, we can talk about recruiting. Sounds good. Okay. Um, Next question. So Dan Mullen hates recruiting. I mean, the dude hates it. He does not like it. Dan Mullen is an NFL coach who happens to be in college. See, the reason Mike Tomlin shot those LSU rumors down so quickly the other day, and he had done so behind the scenes long before that, trust me, is because he's not interested in recruiting. Andy Staples had a good article on The Athletic today about why Chip Kelly, when given the option of Florida or, or UCLA, chose UCLA. He didn't want any part of this recruiting deal down here. Uh, Matt Campbell, I do not think you'll ever see him in the SEC. He doesn't want any part of recruiting down here. And that's fine. It's not for everyone. A lot of NFL guys would not try their hand in college cause they're not interested in recruiting. It's not for everybody. That's fine. Here's the difference. None of those guys are coaching in the SEC. Dan Mullen is, and Dan Mullen is not just coaching at, with all due respect, Missouri. Dan Mullen is coaching at what should be a perennial powerhouse. You should be having to take backup options because Florida came in and took your top option. That's what recruiting at Florida should be. Instead, it's the other way around. And I would suggest to you, we were talking about this in an editorial meeting the other day. I would suggest to you that recruiting down there hasn't even been as good as it appears on the surface. Because there have been classes now in the transfer portal most recently where Florida's been willing to roll the dice on guys that may be high-risk academic casualties or health-wise, there may be some red flags on them that you don't know about and they're still rated high and Florida's gotten them. They haven't panned out, but they got credit for them in the recruiting rankings and whatnot. Florida hasn't even been as good as they've appeared, and they haven't appeared to be elite at any time. And so that's where they are right now. Now, a lot of folks took that quote and they ran with it. And true enough, some people miscontextualized it so here's the problem the problem was not in a florida fan or me just observing neutrally listening to dan mullen and the words that came out of his mouth the problem with what mullen said yesterday was not that he said something and it got miscontextualized look you can even admit folks miscontextualized him the problem was if you took the miscontextualized version of what dan mullen said i.e I only recruit a certain time of year. I don't really prioritize it like Kirby Smart does. He can live his life. I'm going to live my life. If that were actually what came out of his mouth, the results would match it. That's the problem. The problem was not that someone mischaracterized what he said. The problem was the mischaracterized version matches what reality is right now in the world of recruiting, and that's on the field for Florida. And so what's going to happen? Like, what's going to change? Because outside of a severe staff overhaul, nothing's going to change. Dan Mullen is who he is. He's a really good football coach. He is a really good cook who has no interest in going and buying the ingredients. Now, if you can get someone to go get you the ingredients and bring them to you, then you can make a world-class meal. But therein lies the problem. Unless we have severe staff overhaul after this season and he brings in an all-star team of recruiters, that's not really gonna happen, is it? And they're not slowing down at Alabama or Georgia. And here's the other thing. This is what would concern me the most if I were a Florida fan outside of the obvious this may be the best shot he ever has Florida state's been down. Miami's been down. Florida should be racking up in the state. And instead it's been Ohio state and Clemson and Alabama coming down there. And they basically looked around and said, Dan, are you going to do all, what are you going to do about all this talent? Oh, okay. You're going fishing. Okay. Well, we'll take it. We'll come down here and take it. Should never happen. Should never ever be happening down there. So, Florida State and Miami aren't going to be down forever. Like, this could have been the most wide open opportunity that Dan Mullen ever had down there. And so, you got the fears being realized on my end. You've got, even when you miscontextualize things, it matching reality. And then you've also got the fact that, for all we know, this has been his best shot. Like, is it going to improve? Is it going to get any better? What's going to change? I see no reason to believe that anything's going to change. However, You're in kind of that that nebulous area where if you want action taken down there, I don't know if you're going to root for your team to lose. I'm telling you right now, the state of affairs is not so severe that I think anything's going to change. So if you're pulling for the Florida Gators, just pull for the Florida Gators. If, however, you do think that changes are necessary to save that program, you're in a very weird spot. You're in the same kind of spot that, let's say, Texas A&M fans found themselves in in the latter portion of the Kevin Sumlin era. Sumlin seemed to be floating in that netherworld for a long time. They were finally bad enough where they fired him. I don't know that that's where we are with Dan Mullen. I don't know what the resolution of this is going to be. Selfishly, I'm rooting for him because selfishly, again, in the best interest of this show, this show is its best when Florida is at its best. To be perfectly clear, I have a bias here. It's pro-Florida. I want them to be winning. But if that's not going to happen with Dan Mullen, then I want someone in there that's going to maximize that program's potential. Okay, let's, uh, let's predict. We only got one game that is marquee enough to predict on a Tuesday night. Now, come Thursday, I got uh, several more games that we're going to get to. So we're going to do this, give you best bets, and we'll get out of here. Auburn at Texas A&M. A&M by 4.5. That's what the Aggies are favored by, about 4, 4.5, depending on where you look. It's the Saturday game. It's 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 local time there. It's on CBS. We will be on the sidelines. This is where the Late Kick Renaissance Tour is taking us this week. Again, as I said Sunday, to write a great injustice, a grave wrongdoing on our part earlier this year where I was at OU Texas, had credentials to go to Bama a and and instead I flew home and I watched that field get stormed at 38,000 feet. That was on me, never again. And so we are going to Kyle Field, and I didn't know that we were going to get the opportunity, but we are going there, may even be there for midnight yell Friday night. Obviously, I've never experienced that. I've been to a before, but I've never experienced that. You know, a lot of people say the college football season goes by so fast. Well, no, it doesn't. I want you to go ask Brian Harson or Jimbo Fisher how fast the season has gone by. I want you to think, for those of you who think this season has flown by, do you remember when Auburn got beat by Penn State and then almost lost to Georgia State? Do you remember when a and got beat by Arkansas? Because it feels like about two years ago. It feels like these teams have already been playing for about two years. So much has happened, and we still got a month to go. So much has happened. But I want you to understand the reason we have this game circled and prioritized, number one, because according to your precious playoff rankings, these are two top 15 teams, and I agree with that. The J.P. poll agrees with that. There are huge SEC implications on this. Both of these teams are still alive. Auburn flat out controls their own destiny. Uh, A&M needs one thing to happen, but... Both of these teams can still make it to Atlanta. Now, this game may knock one of them out, but that's why you need to tune in. Because Alabama, I mean, what we know about the Tide, they still got to go to Auburn at the end of the year. And they've lost the last two times they've gone down there. And I've been on hand both times. And I was there the time before where they won and Henry won the Heisman. Even then it wasn't easy. It's never easy for them there. So keep that in mind. I have reason to believe that as great as Kyle Field is as a home field advantage, I think it will affect Auburn as little as any team a and plays at home this year. Here's the reason. They are so battle-tested. Auburn is so incredibly battle-tested. They've already gone to Penn State. They've already gone to LSU. And they've already gone to Arkansas. I mean, Kyle Field, listen, I think it's one of the three or four best home field advantages in college football. I- I'm not on the four-letter network side of things where I say you've never had an impact on games. I've been there. I know exactly how tough it is and how crazy it is. You get so much motion sickness on the field, by the way. When they start swaying side to side and you look up, don't look up. That's what I would advise you to do. If you're standing on the field, you just need to pull this. When that swaying starts, you just need to go like this. Because so you look up and you get motion sickness. It's crazy. Having said that, I don't know that Auburn's going to be shook to the point where they get rattled just because of Kyle Field. That doesn't mean anything more than a and just got to outplay Auburn. That's all that means. But I'm just telling you, if you expect Auburn to fold because that place is going to be really loud Saturday, I think it's going to take a little bit more than that. Uh, they've already dealt with two or three fastballs of 100,000 plus. Uh, so this one, I don't think will knock them off quite to the degree that maybe it did against Alabama even. This game, though, I think will end up feeling a lot like you thought Michigan-Michigan State would. A lot of you, including me, thought that was going to be a game played in the upper teens, low 20s, Uh, not degree, but points, and then you know whoever got to 24, 25, 26, whoever got in that realm first, that was going to be the winner. Well, we ended up with 37, 33. This game right here, I think, is a low to mid-20s game. And so with A&M, I think it's two totally different games depending on how this starts. If they, if the Aggies, can get this thing settled into a groove and we start feeling like we're on pace for a first to 24 type game, that spells a lot of opportunity. For Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M, especially at tight end, will be featured prominently with Wiedermeyer, Weidermeyer, I always mispronounce Jalen's name. So so J-Dub, I think he will be featured very prominently. Uh, Tight ends given Auburn defensively uh, an issue with timer 10 as of late. Not to mention he's a big facet of their offense anyway. But that... And if they settle in, they start getting that run game going early on, and they're, you know, clipping off a minimum of let's say 4.75 to 5 yards per carry. That's going to spell a lot of success for A&M. However, if it gets really loose early, which Auburn has the ability to do, and Bo Nix escapes the pocket a couple of times, and they pop A&M early, and they got let's say a 10 to nothing lead before you've even settled in, if they do to the Aggies what Michigan did to Michigan State last week. Then all of a sudden, you're looking at a game that could quickly turn into a different style fight than A&M really wants. And all of a sudden, you're talking about a game that could get into the 30s, which I don't expect, nor do you expect. But then again, what did we expect last week versus what we got? So Bo Nix, for several reasons, I think ends up being the key facet here. The Auburn ground game is how they plan on winning. That's how they plan on being there in the fourth quarter. But you know good and well, if you watched Auburn last week and you've watched them as of late, Bo Nix, his passing numbers are through the roof relative to what they were. His yards per pass, last two games, double digits versus what they were early in the year. They were abysmal. But you need some more context on that. If you've watched Auburn, you know this is not a traditional three, five, seven-step drop, and let's go through our route progression and boom, 15-yard out, 20-yard slant over the middle. That's not what's happening. What's happening is they're winning the best way they know how right now, and that is changing the launch point, or they're moving the pocket, or plays are breaking down, and that's where Auburn's receivers are the best. They're not necessarily all-world. In fact, it's a subpar receiver room when it comes to how you draw a play up on a grease board. They're just not overly special athletically. But when plays break down, there is no receiver room in America more adept at making things happen when that pocket changes and moves and when plays break down than Auburn. And that's what a and working on all week. It's a lot easier said than done, just the whole keep Bow in the pocket thing. But that, those popcorn droppers, uh, a phrase that we coined last week, those along with a healthy dose of this Auburn ground game, which Bo Nix will also participate in, that'll be the key. The biggest roadblock that I have in figuring this thing out, and I'm about to show you what the model thinks, the biggest roadblock I have is interpreting last week against Ole Miss. Our buddies over at College Football Nerds they did a really good job pointing this out both in a video and on Twitter. And we we telegraphed this. It's why we picked Auburn last week. The dynamics that were in play, how badly Ole Miss was beat up coming in and how rested Auburn was and they had the home field advantage. It was a purely dynamics-based pick last week, and that's why we took Auburn as our best bet. But even within the game, Ole Miss got beat up to the point where, I mean, they were beat to death at the end of that game, and they were without so many of their key playmakers. Now that doesn't mean anything more than Auburn won a football game, and that's just the way, that the, that's the way the cookie crumbles for you. How much are we now basing our opinion of Auburn off a game that had a lot of dynamics-based outcome to it, in my opinion? And do you have maybe a falser sense of confidence than you should about Auburn going into A&M? because if I were to be the devil on one shoulder saying that, the angel could show up on the other side and say, okay but Auburn's playing their best football right now would you agree and everyone would have to shake their head yeah and then I'd say and Zach Calzada and that A&M offense they are not built to pull away even though A&M does have an athletic advantage over Auburn and it's not really even disputable amongst Auburn fans I don't know that A&M's built to fully take advantage of that right now they have not been lighting teams up through the air they've run the ball okay But Auburn can get a decent amount of pushback against the run, especially if they sell out to it on certain downs. And if they can, now we can go to what the model thinks, Jesse, by the way, if we want to, the line on this thing being four, our model agrees with it completely. Like we are right on, we're at four, four and a half. We're right in line with what Vegas thinks. Initially, I thought this was going to be a slam dunk, that I was going to end up taking Texas A&M and I was going to lay the points. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought this is a one-possession-either-way kind of deal. I don't like a and ability to just pull away and just flex athletically on Auburn. And I think that Auburn team, that's a really tough snake to cut the head off of right now. So I think it's going to be a battle either way. I ended up going the other way. I ended up going Auburn plus the points. If anything, I would ever so slightly lean a and to win the game. And I don't want to gloss over the result here in lieu of just the point spread, because the result is everything. I would very slightly lean Texas A&M because I think the athletic test on the road instead of a beat-up team at home, I think that does mean a little bit here. But, boy, I think it's close. I think it's going to be a really good, really hard-fought competitive game. Would not be surprised either way. I'll take A&M to win slightly anything over a field goal. I would take Auburn and the points. It's not an official play. We are not betting on that. All right, let's wrap it up with our Ramen Noodle Express Picks Best Bet. I told you we are going heavy volume this week. I am not going to sit there again Saturday night and look at the model and say, wow, the model actually killed it today. We just took the wrong games. We're going to take all of them. That's what we're going to do. So Eastern Michigan plus nine, we're already on. I think that game's underway right now. So we gave you that one Sunday night. Here we go. Central Michigan tomorrow night. We've already handed most of these out. Central Michigan minus nine and a half. Kansas State minus 23 and a half, they're at Kansas, that one's on a Saturday. Southern Cal plus eight and a half, they're at Arizona State. Georgia Tech, we are adding. Georgia Tech plus 10 and a half at Miami. Miami's red hot, Yep, but they're also double due down. So we like some things to maybe be a little bit wobbly for Miami Saturday, enough for them to probably win the game, but for the Jackets to get inside the margin. So we're taking Georgia Tech plus 10 and a half. The other game we're adding is East Carolina, minus 15 and a half at home versus Temple. We have this one as a blowout. East Carolina was good to us last week. We're riding them again. ECU minus 15 and a half. Georgia Tech plus 10 and a half. USC plus eight and a half. Kansas State minus 23 and a half. Central Michigan minus nine and a half. And we're on Eastern Michigan right now, plus nine. Look, I didn't start the show early tonight because I was a little bit jaded the other night. Braves hit a grand slam in the first inning. Still couldn't get the job done. So having said that, I'm about to go root like a schoolgirl for the Atlanta Braves to win the World Series tonight. I thank you so much for watching. 81% of our audience is still unsubscribed. Please, if you do nothing else tonight other than take your pills and go to bed, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It means the world to us. And that's it. That's the only request. Thank you so much for watching. For Director Colin and Jesse in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening. Tell a friend or two about the show. And God bless.